It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have another rising young chess player joining us this week. He is uh, number six in the U.S. under the age of 21, one of our young, the country's youngest grandmasters. He's, a, he's won national championships, the Marshall Chess Club Championship, which might be just as hard to win, if not harder. Uh, he recently was the co-champion of the Charity Chess Blitz Tournament, which I talked about uh, with Scott and Norma Merrow a few months ago. Um, Nicholas Nico Cheka, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Ben. It's a privilege. So it's good to have the younger generation represented here. I know we got to chat a little, not at this charity chess event, but but two charity chess events ago. And you've you were young and strong then, and you've gotten even stronger since then. So uh, what have you been doing, Nico? What's what's your approach to um to uh working on chess? Well, so. Um, last year I was, I was still an IM. So I was at that point, I was very much, uh, committed towards getting my norms and trying to get all the requirements for the GM title. But this year, since I already satisfied that I was able to just really enjoy chess a little more. And I think that's might've been why I performed a lot better this year. Interesting. So do you feel like you put a lot of pressure on yourself generally? Um, I think pressure is the wrong word, but I think, um, my, the, my, my goal in chess at that point was exclusively, the norms and the title and everything. And now that, that, that is behind me, I can focus on other things, focus on the enjoyment of the game, focusing on just getting better as a player. It's a, it's a lot, it's a different, different mindset. So what was the, what were the practical implications of being focused on the title? Did it impact your study more or your tournament selection or what? I think it had the biggest impact on the tournament selection because there are um, obviously 
you know, a lot of requirements in terms of the number of foreign players and the number of rounds and all that sort of thing in terms of what tournaments are and aren't eligible for norms. So I would almost play exclusively nine-round tournaments that had sufficient number of foreigners and had sufficient number of title players and all that yeah, with the goal of potentially getting a norm. But now I can kind of vary my tournament selection to tournaments that I would enjoy playing more or I would find some sort of competitive urge to go to. It's a different mindset. Okay, so so Nico, now that you have the norms out of the way, uh, like what what would be an example of a tournament that you might play that you you wouldn't have otherwise? I, I most likely would not have have played in nationals this year had I not had the title because that that time that trip that tournament that time off school would have been better spent at a tournament which could have had a more direct uh, benefit to me. Whereas uh, I just was um, I wanted to kind of challenge myself against the top high schoolers and see how it fares. So that's why I went to nationals. And if I didn't have the title, I most likely would not have gone there. Okay. So that's the example okay. of a tournament that I chose to go to. Afterwards. And, and you've won national titles in the past, right? Um, well, this was actually only my, my second time playing in nationals because I typically uh, chose not to play when I was much younger. So I played in um, two years ago when I was a freshman in high school. And then uh, I won the Blitz that year, but I was... Uh, did pretty poorly in the regular event. And then this year I played. Um, so this was my second time and my first time ever winning. Oh, wow. Cool. So I saw that the other top 17 year olds, I mean, obviously there's a, uh, so many strong young players these days, but it looked like the two closest to your rating or maybe slightly higher than you were uh, Rufang Lee and John Michael Burke. Um, yes. So have you guys uh, crossed swords frequently over the years? Yeah, we, we um, I've played each of them, you know, at least five, ten times maybe. So we've played each other a lot in both, both you know, the cadets and the juniors and all that stuff. And also just in regular Swisses, I think we play a lot of the same tournaments because we are both looking for the same things in our tournaments. So it's just bound to happen that we we face each other. I, I remember there was a, in particular Rufang, there was a summer in which I think I might have played him three or four times in the whole summer. So I've played a lot of them quite frequently. And what's, what are the dynamics like when do you tend to switch openings or do you um, just go deeper into the prep when you're preparing for one of your um, frequent uh, strong opponents? Well, it's different between the two of them because Rufang's um, approach is much more original. His openings vary a lot more. So typically he will, he will change openings before you even get the chance to. Mm -hmm. Whereas John is a little more principled in his approach. So it, it, they're, John tends to be a more theoretical player than Rufang, in my opinion. So I think uh, preparation t- plays a bigger role when you're playing him. But uh, they're both, they both know their openings very well, so you have to be on your toes. Okay, but do you find it, do you have a preference for prepping for one of them? I think if I were you, I would rather just play the one where I was like, I have no idea what he's going to play, so I'm not even going to worry about it, being being uh-huh. Rufang. I think uh, it's, it's um, th- they're both obviously, you know, 25, 50 grandmasters. They're, they're very tough opponents so i, I think it, it you can't say that one is easier or harder than the other i think both of them are, are just enormous challenge to play yeah i wasn't saying easier i was just saying in terms of prep in terms of like the feeling before the oh. before the round in terms of prep i think uh they're they're just it, i guess um i wouldn't say one of them is easier to prep than the other because um you know in one, you have to prepare for a lot of different things at a lower intensity, but the other, you have to prepare high intensity narrow. So 
it winds up being about the same amount of preparation you need to do. That makes sense. Um, and is there anyone I'm sort of leaving out from the conversation that you would consider, like along with those two, as your your? Pri- I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to call them rivals because, of course, I'm sure you guys, um, you um, know, you're often friendly in situations like that. But you, you know what I mean. I think Praveen Balakrishnan is um is my age too, and he's he's an IM, so he's usually up there. And those I played him a couple times. Um, there are, there are a lot of you know players who. Have either Adelaide Patel, I think he might be six months younger than me, but he's a strong IM who's close to getting his GM title. So there's a, there's a number of players who are around that level. Okay, yeah, it's crazy how strong you guys all are. Um, and you mentioned that basically you decided to play Nationals because it was uh, more... You weren't as focused on getting your title, but one thing I, I wonder about, because this was a thing like back when I was a teenager, but I don't know if it still matters for someone you're strong, as strong as you are. Like if you were trying to get a feather in your cap for applying to colleges and stuff like that, does being a national champion, do you think it matters or is it like uh, you've accomplished enough chess wise that it's kind of just another thing? I really don't like the the kind of mindset that you've accomplished enough in any field. I think there's always more that you can do. So um, within this context, it, it wasn't so much trying to pad a resume or anything. It was definitely just something that uh, I had never accomplished that before, and I wanted to challenge myself against uh, the top high schoolers. Um, in terms of perception, I think the the title of Grandmaster is, is well-known to some people, but kind of vaguely known to others. So depending on how well entrenched you are in the chess world, some people will automatically understand what that means and others will just, they don't really understand what it comes with. Whereas national high school champion or, you know, New York state high school champion or, or any title or any other state for that matter, um, is a little easier to understand because you can usually compare it to say basketball or track or some sport that almost everyone understands. Whereas there really is not a comparable title of grandmaster in many other things. Oh, that makes sense. Although I would think that with, I, I don't know, I mean, I guess there's colleges versus like the, you know, broader populace trying to understand things. But with colleges, I would think there've been enough um, strong chess players along the way where maybe they would have figured it out by now. But I mean, it's certainly, Grandmaster just sounds good. That's one of the, the good things about chess is even if you don't play it, it just, it's it's a good sounding title. Um, but it's very hard to to explain kind of what a grandmaster is or how you become a grandmaster. It is. That's familiar. That's true. Yeah. Like, that's, if you try to explain what a norm is, it's very hard to explain with all these narrow requirements. It's, uh, it's a little artificial, but at the same time, it is known to some people. So that's good. Yeah. So Nico, you're, are you finishing up your junior year of, uh, of high school? Yeah, I have about two or three weeks left. Okay. And I'm sure you get tired of being asked uh, all the stuff about your future and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I have to ask, do you, are you thinking you're on the college track or the pro chess track or what? I, I fully intend to go to college. I don't think uh, going professional chess is uh, the path for me right now. I, don't, I think academics and college is something that I'd be more inclined to pursue. Cool. Yeah. I mean, not that you asked, but <laughs> I think that's a good decision on your part. Um, and, uh, and what what about the chess colleges? I mean, I've had, of course, many guests over the years who were fortunate enough to get chess scholarships. But then, of course, there's also some who, as you mentioned, um, sort of an academic track who decide that uh, they they rather prefer sort of a uh, um, a more typical college experience. Have you given much thought to where you would go? Um, I, I'm more inclined to pursue an an academic track, I'd say. Okay. 
And do you, um, how are you as a, a regular student, a non-chess student, I should say? I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I go to a school every day. I'm not a homeschooled, so that is a bit of a pull away from chess. But, you know, school is, um, school's fine. I go to Dobbsbury High School, so it's, uh, it's a fun time. Are you thinking about specific colleges or or not yet? I'm tr- trying to stay open-minded right now. Cool. Good for you. Um, and so you mentioned that you're not homeschooled, which uh, these days is a bit of a differentiator, I think, for, for a lot of players of your caliber. Um, so what uh, did you ever consider? You were obviously this would be a family decision. I met your dad last week as well. Uh, shout out to your dad. Um, yes. Uh, do you, did you ever consider, uh, not going to school? I, I never really considered it seriously because, um, I think, uh, the main, the main reason people, uh, decide to do it, I don't mean to put words in anyone's mouth, but I think the reason is that not so much the amount of time per day to study or anything, because in my, my understanding is that people do, do a lot of academics at home. It's more the issues with, uh, missing, a week here, a week there to go to a tournament because um, a lot of schools, particularly public schools, are very uh, strict about that because they they get the government funding based on how many students they have present and all that. So um, uh, a lot of schools really just at some point put their foot down and say, you can't miss all these days to go to tournaments. And then a player would respond by saying, okay, well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll be homeschooled and then that way I have the freedom to, to travel to Europe to play tournament or to go to a world youth or, or even just go play nine round Swisses in the U S. But since I was, um, I tried to always play my tournaments around holidays, like put the Philadelphia open around Easter national chess Congress around Thanksgiving, North American open around Christmas. So my, the amount of days I missed for school was usually uh, pretty minimal. So, um, there really was never that tension between me and the school. Oh, that's a really interesting insight. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I do feel like it would probably open up some time to study more homeschooled. You could probably be a little more efficient with your schoolwork. And of course, travel time, stuff like that makes a difference. I mean, it uh, would de-emphasize any sort of uh, organized high school sports. But yeah, I hadn't thought about that aspect. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's, it's a big sacrifice to, to, you know, miss out on all that, you yeah. know, of your life. But that's a personal decision. So it's, yeah, I mean, I feel that way, but not everyone would agree with that. I mean, some people, I mean, high school can, can cut both ways for sure. I mean, school generally. So definitely true. But, um, you know, it, it's a personal decision and I, I chose to stay in school. So were there any, have there been any, uh, big tournaments that you really were bummed to miss, uh, because of school? Um, there, there's been a number of, um, of invitational tournaments in, in St. Louis, uh, both the, the Norm events and their uh, St. Louis Classic events, which particularly because they're one game a day, they would be um, maybe ten or ten or nine or ten days, which is really not reasonable. So I, I am unfortunately kind of obligated to decline a lot of those invitations. Um, so I think that's the, the first example that I can think of. But there's, I, I haven't gone to very many World Youths since I started. I haven't gone to any World Youths since I started high school. Um, so I think I, I did cut down on my travel and my tournaments uh, once I got into high school. Um, yeah, although that that's also because at that point, um, my like I said before, my 
the set of tournaments that I was interested in began began to narrow because I began to pursue norms. So those two things were happening at the same time. So it's hard to really pin one as the root cause. Yeah, I think yeah, the world use in particular seemed to me like that would be um that might be fun to go to. I mean the 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 norm invitationals that seems like. Those would be fun too, but if you, I mean, I, I'm guessing you could imagine what it would be like, you know, away from the board. Um, do you think that it slowed down your uh, getting your titles? This um, decision. Um, I think, I think it's hard to. I don't think so because I think, um, I think that the way I was not my playing frequency did not decrease to. Uh, such an extent that it would have affected it. I was still playing, you know, like I said, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, all these tournaments around the February break, I would play. So I still had, you know, a number of opportunities to get norms, but I just wasn't taking advantage of them until basically last summer. So um, I don't think that's the reason. I think I had some gaps in my play that I had to address. And then once I did that, I was able to to finally do it. So what were the gaps? I I think that... um, that uh, to some extent, I wasn't playing practically enough. I think uh, it was it was a matter of just um, really approaching the game in a, in a different mindset. That I was able to to know which games I was really trying to win, to know which games that I had to to hold with black. For example, I think before then I didn't have a, a clear goal going into every game, and then more recently, particularly in my last tournament, I knew more or less ahead of time, which games I said, this game I'm going to try to win, this game I'm going to try to hold with black, and just kind of approach the tournament through that way, which it's, it's pretty, some people think it's a horrible way of approaching it, but it's worked for me, so that's how I like to do things. Yeah, it's probably a more professional approach, whether people want to admit it or not. I mean, uh, part of uh, the, the skill of a chess tournament is, um, you know, the sort of uh, macro planning and uh, energy management. Right, right. Um, so how did you figure this out? Like, uh, you, your dad mentioned to me that you don't have a coach. So how were you able to pinpoint that as, as what you needed to work on? Well, cause I, I was, um, in, um, in a lot of, uh, a lot of tournaments. Um, for example, the, I played a, a tournament in Texas called the Southwest open, I think. And in that tournament, I wound up being, uh, half a point away from, from getting a norm and, Looking back, I realized that in round two, I was playing someone who was lower rated than me, but but only maybe eighty points lower. And I, I was uh, white and was was really pushing for a win, um, and then ultimately lost because I took some unnecessary risks. And then, although I later managed to salvage the tournament and come back and have a good enough performance, what I what I realized is that um, that that risk I took, that loss, was really unmerited. The uh, the risk reward proposition was not justified and it would have made much more sense to just understand the the context of the tournament, the circumstances better and realize that, you know, a, a draw in that game, although it was with white against a slightly weaker player was not really that, um, was not that bad. I just needed to kind of stay composed in that sense. And then I would have had ample opportunity to, you know, win games later on, which I didn't really have that perspective at the time. But I think once I, I gained that perspective, my results improved a lot. Huh. I mean, even even hearing you talk about it, it strikes me as a pretty mature perspective for a 17 year old. So it's good that it's good that you're learning those lessons. So you mentioned you you um, 
you felt like you were able to implement them in in your last tournament. What was your last tournament? Well, my last my last uh, norm tournament was the uh, was a round robin in Charlotte. Oh, okay. Um, and um, I think a good example of that would be uh, in round three. I played a uh, Alex Katz. I'm not sure if you've had him on the podcast. He's a I am. I haven't, but I follow him on Twitter. I you know uh, he's a strong strong young player. Goes to and, MIT, right? He I he might have graduated, but he, okay. Um, so I, I was playing him and, um, you know, it was a, I was white, so I was obviously pushing, uh, and it got to a point where I, I was beginning to get a serious advantage. And then at that point I, um, I, I made a horrible blunder basically. So I went from pushing to a serious advantage to, you know, having to, um, basically to try to hold for a draw in a, difficult circumstance, which I managed to find the right sequence of moves to make it basically dead equal. And at that point, we were both relatively low on time, so he offered me a draw. And I think in, in previous, kind of maybe six months prior, I would have felt that, you know, since I had been better the whole game and now it was equal, I should have, you know, continued to push or that I should have taken some sort of risk because he was in time trouble. But I had the perspective to realize that you know you know it's it's only round three the there's plenty of opportunity afterwards in the subsequent rounds to you know to win games and to reach the point that i needed so it would make much more sense to just um i hate to say cut my losses but basically realize that the risk associated with pushing in that position where i was probably slightly worse objectively was definitely not justified yeah, that's got to be one of the hardest parts of chess, and it's why I think there's no substitute for just playing. Like no matter how much, no matter how many tactics you do, no matter how many books you read, those sort of decisions can't really be uh, faked. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I think it, it's um, a lot of that stuff is is uh, it's hard to kind of it's hard to, it's hard to explain and it's hard to prepare yourself for. Yeah, and of course you're doing it at a very high level, but even for for listeners at a at a lower level, that stuff matters a lot. I mean, uh, you know, like if someone a little higher rated offers a draw early in a game, you have to figure out is it cuz they're, you know, uh, are they tired? Uh, do they have to skip town or do or am I missing something on the board, you know? Um, yeah. And it's so just it's kind of that kind of gamesmanship aspect of it where you need to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um so what's your what's your next tournament, Nico? Uh, my next tournament is probably going to be the the U.S. Junior in uh, in July in St. Louis. I might play a, a tournament before then, almost just to prepare and get ready. But that's my my next major tournament. Awesome! Yeah, that that I mean, you must be excited for it as a chess fan. I'm excited for it. So uh, I mean, we can obviously I could make some educated guesses, but who who do you know for sure is uh, is playing? I'm not sure if they've released the. Um, the list of players yet, but I think there's there's several several uh, strong players that are playing. It's it's definitely the strongest that they've ever had. Wow, yeah, and Greg Chahadi, I was just as I told you before we started recording, was texting with him, and when I had him on, he kind of teased that this might happen. But the fabled camp with uh, you know, the esteemed trainer GM Jakob Agard is happening. So that and you're attending that as well, right? After I'm really, very excited about that. I've I've read a lot of his books and I've heard things about his training so i'm excited to to meet him in person and, and work with him a little bit yeah what an opportunity that 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 should be something special um so how much 
so you've got the summer coming up. When does your school year end? It, it, it uh, my last exam is on June 25th, actually. So it's going to go for a little while longer, but, um, but my, my classes end next Monday. So, um, okay. So that helps a little. Yes. And do you, uh, historically, do you like, do you hit the chest harder in the summer or kind of same, same approach? Um, I, I usually play, play more tournaments in the summer because, um, I think there are more tournaments to play in general. They're offered They're especially on the East coast. They're much more, um, accessible in the summer. And also I don't have to worry about missing school or anything. So it's much easier for me to, to do it. So I usually play, you know, maybe usually three to five, nine round tournaments. So that's, that's a lot for a summer. Yeah. And are you playing the, the Philly international and the world open or do those, uh, conflict with your schedule? I think I'm, I'm only going to play one of them. Um, and, I think just the Philadelphia International because the World Open I think goes almost the the day the day right up to the junior so I would be hard to travel and do all that in the, the one day in between. Yeah, and speaking of conserving energy, that might be yeah. uh, penny wise and pound foolish. Um, so Nico, I know that uh, obviously a lot of people are 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 wondering what your tricks are for for getting so good so young. I mean, um, do why don't you take us through your, your history a little bit when you were exposed to chess? Did you, did you kind of have good results right away relative to your age or is it something that came a little slower? Well, so I was, I was first, you know, taught the moves, like how the night moves, how the pawn moves, all that. When I was, I think I was four, my, my dad taught me just how to play. Cause he also taught my sister who was four years older than me. Um, when, when she was four. So that was kind of a rite of passage in our family, I guess you could say. And so I was, you know, it was just kind of a casual family thing. I wasn't very serious about it. I, I think I might have played a few of tournaments in in the, you know, just local scholastic tournaments. Uh, with, I, I don't think I did particularly well in that. I think I, I maybe got like you know three out of four, or two and a half out of four, or something like that. So it was just you know, just I was just going to enjoy it, and I, I had fun. And then in elementary school, I think I was in first or second grade, uh, a friend of mine, um, you know, during, during our free time session, he, uh, he took out a, a chess set and I, I, you know, thought like, you know, I, I know what's going on here. I can, I can try. And although I did win that game, it was, you know, alarmingly close for first grade me. I was very concerned that I almost lost. Hmm. So then I, I came home and I think I, I downloaded the, the chess master software, which hmm. you could play against the computer of increasing intervals of strength. I think for almost a week I was just kept playing and kept playing that. And then um, I guess you could say that's how I really started. And then, then I, I went back to these local scholastic tournaments and had much better results. And then eventually um, the organizers encouraged me to, you know, set my sights larger and visit the Marshall Chess Club. So I did that. And then gradually one thing led to another. Gotcha. That's that's interesting. I mean, the whole thing is interesting, especially the self-taught, like uh, practicing against chess master. So I want to get back to that in a second. But another question I had, because this has come up a few times where people like, you know, there's almost something um, something um, inborn, it feels like for people who love chess, like when when they discover it, it's just like it's a, almost a force bigger than them. But some people know about tournaments right away and some people don't so do you do how do you know how your dad knew that the tournaments were a thing that happened was he a competitive player well because my my sister who's four years older than me had played in them also okay so that makes sense i don't know how he how he figured them out 
uh, for her. But I remember um, in these tournaments, you had to be in kindergarten or older to play. So I, I remember going to them before, well, before I was in kindergarten, and I would just kind of mill around the, the skilled area, I guess you could say. But I, I couldn't play because I was, wasn't old enough. And then once I was old enough, I started to play. But, you know, so that's, I was always kind of familiar with that, that scene. Gotcha. And then once you, um, you know, so once you really in first grade and once you start playing chess master and uh, sort of expanding your horizons, as you surprised at that point, I mean, I know you won some titles like pretty young. So at what point did you sort of, uh, shoot towards the top of, uh, your age range? Well, I, I remember my first or second time going to the martial, martial chess club, a lot of the, the kids, you know, who were maybe a year older than me or my age were, were like much, much higher rated than me because they had, I guess, been exposed to the, the New York City chess scene for their, um, you know, entire, you know, career, I guess. So I was maybe, you know, 1200, something like that. And they were, I'd say maybe 1800. So they were, and that, that 600 point gap is a, is a big gap. So they were much, much better than me at the time. But, um, I think, um, I just, uh, at the time I was, um, I was very into chess. I was, I was reading all these books. I was, I was playing chess master, although I stopped doing that at some point, but I was, I was just studying a lot. I was, I was playing a lot. I was, um, I was learning a lot and I progressed pretty quickly. I think, uh, the first time I qualified for a world youth, I believe I was in, it was in fourth grade. So it took me like three years to, to reach that, that level. But, um, it was something I absolutely loved. So it was, it was all good. It was all fun. Nice. Yeah. That's a, that's a, must've been a, a fun time to think back on. So what are some of the books that, that resonated with you the most uh, as a kid, uh, you know, plowing through all this chess material? Um, I remember I was, uh, you know, I was, I was very young at the time. So I really, a lot of times didn't understand or didn't fully grasp what the, the meaning of these, you know, books with lots of text and, and all this kind of abstract concepts. So I remember I would really just try to plow through, um, through, uh, these games collections. I think there was a, a games collection that was a compilation of to Pavlov, Geller, um, Pavlov, Geller and Tall, I think that all three of their games that was together in one book. And I remember I, I really went through that and maybe like three or four days or something. I was, <laughs> I was really, um, I would just input them on the computer and play through them and try to figure out what was going on. So I think um, at that time I wasn't really, I, I wasn't really capable of really, I guess, understanding like, you know, the the deeper kind of text based, like, you know, like let's say some of Dvoretsky's books. But I was very, very into games collections at that point. Wow, that's amazing because you know I teach a lot of kids chess that age, and I generally steer them towards kids books. Uh, just because, it, like you say, the language itself can be, um, it can be um, inaccessible. So, yeah, I think it was inaccessible for me at that point. So that's why I tended to um, kind of go towards good games collections, which are, you know, once you can read algebraic notation, you more or less can understand all of it. And did you, if you couldn't figure, did you use an engine in, in looking at the games as you input them on the computer? Um. Sometimes I would, yeah. I, I would sometimes. I think I had a very weak engine at the time. It was one of those old, like, Fritz 3s or something. But um, it was obviously 
many orders of magnitude stronger than I was. So it was definitely. Yeah, fun. even a weak engine, it helps so much when you have that feeling like I'm missing a tactic. Like, you know, when you're looking at a position and you're like, all right, why doesn't this hang a piece or something? Yeah. Um, but that's that's amazing. And was this, do you remember, was this when you went through this book in three or four days, was this during the school year or over the summer? Was it like. This was during the school year, but, you know, it was, it was, um, it was, I think, second grade, third grade, maybe. So it was not, I wasn't burdened with, you know, much schoolwork. So I'd just come home and do that. It wasn't like, you know, I was, I didn't really need to worry about um, homework or anything at the time. Gotcha. And did your parents, once they saw that you had this passion, was it something that they tried to sort of promote or did they just kind of let you do your thing? No, they, they definitely promoted it. Um, uh, my dad took me to, you know, tournaments and he was very enthusiastic he was very supportive and he he helped me a tremendous amount like he still does help me a lot but he has helped me a tremendous amount throughout my career okay and um what any other books that stand out besides the uh Topalov, geller and tal book that you mentioned um there, there were um as i got got older and was able to kind of understand them more there was a uh, several michael marin books i don't remember the names but those were very very um fascinating um and then in recent years the jacob agard books have been uh i think very helpful for me yeah i haven't read it i'm somewhat ashamed to admit but a lot of people speak highly of mikhail maron i think it's called learn from the masters or something yeah, like that might be the title yeah yeah and if i remember correctly there's they kind of he kind of um takes one component of um a lot of different players plays so i think he, he talks about you know, Akiba Rubenstein's uh, dominance of the seventh rank, for example, of Rucking. And, and then, um, you know, maybe Bobby Fisher's kind of bishop sacrifice in the Sozin Sicilian. So each player, each world champion, or each kind of legendary player, you would try to focus on a narrow um, attribute of theirs. Oh, good approach for a book. Yes. Break things down into small pieces. Um, yeah, so that's interesting to hear that you read so many books because when I was thinking about this interview, I was thinking like, you know, you, you came of age basically almost fully in the computer generation. So, um, how much have you used computers and how has that changed as you continue to get stronger? I think, um, I really only started using computers properly, I think, or as close to properly in the past couple of years, um, because, I think before then, it's it's a little overkill to be using an engine to repair because, you know, at, at, some point, at that point, you really just need to, as long as you're not losing the opening, you really have a fighting chance um, when you're, you know, a Class A player or something. But, you know, once I was competing for norms and such, I think it was necessary to start preparing with the computer and trying to really understand the subtleties of things. Okay, so do you have Chessbase now or do you use yeah. a different program? I, I, I've had Chessbase... Um, for uh, many years okay. I don't know how long but since I was very young mm-hmm. and figuring this stuff out so without having a coach have you found it hard over time to sort of know what to work on or what to read next and like what to take from your games and stuff like that um, I, I don't I don't think so because people are in my experience they've always been very friendly and kind with their advice you know even kind of the the title players or grandmasters that I kind of encounter, they'd always be very helpful in suggesting, you know, oh, you should work on this. You should, you should uh, check out this book or, or this opening or something. So people, in my experience, they were never stingy with their advice. So it was, it was um, great. You just catch like a, 
little piece of advice from one person, another person, and try to combine that all together and improve my game. That's good to hear that people were so generous. I'm I'm putting you on the spot a bit here, but can you think of any specific examples of uh, times where you played a stronger player and they said you should read this book or you should work on this particular thing? Um, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to give credit to one person because I feel like that'd be taking credit away from everyone else. Um, but it was widespread. A lot of people were very kind, and I'm very thankful to them. And. Uh, that's that's again that's good to hear and so okay as you transition to computers and um you know uh at your level obviously uh being being strong tactically is extremely important i mean you don't get to to 2600 uscf without um great ability to visualize so did you what was your approach for tactics did you use computers for that did you use tactics books or a combination or what um i i you know, I was um, a little bit of both. I'd say I think um, I think you know most most kids my age have done their fair share of chess tempo tactics or chess dot com tactics or some sort of online tactics trainer. But then there are also you know um, all the puzzle books. There's the 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 Laszlo Polgar puzzle book of I think three thousand positions, which which I did the whole thing when I was much younger. So I think. Um, a little bit of both. I did I did my fair share of online tactics, but I also did um, tactics books. Um, I was told that the tactics books were generally better because they had explanations. You can definitely um, be exposed to much, many more kind of ideas, many more tactics online because they're just the databases are much larger than a book. And have you uh, been bitten by the puzzle rush bug, Nico? Um. I I've done I do puzzle rush um a fair amount. A lot of times if it's um just on my phone if I'm, you know, in the car or something. But um I'm not not at the level of trying to memorize them yet, which is from what I gather the new the new wave. Um, you know, my, my score is not that high. It's just something I, I just do almost a pastime. Yeah, it's funny how people are uh, are hacking puzzle rush. Yeah, I think you know, it it's uh I'd imagine it's, you know, it takes a lot of skill to do. So it's it's not something that I think I would be cut out for. Well, I mean, you might be able to do it, but there's probably an opportunity cost. Um, I mean, uh, do you, what, what do you consider your strength as a player? In terms of puzzle rush? No, sorry. Like generally in chess, are you a tactical player, positional player? Like what's, what's, what was the most naturally strong aspect of your game? Um, Generally speaking, I... I think I try. I attempted. I don't know if I succeeded, but I attempted to try to develop as a pretty well-rounded player. I think um, these days my my openings are trying or typically kind of resulting in more closed positions where there's more, I guess, uh, positional opportunities. But a lot of those closed positions are deceptive in the sense that they can really explode to life very quickly. So uh, I think they kind of combine a lot of different attributes. Okay. And getting back to tactics for a second. So now that you've come as far as you have, uh, now, if you wanted to work on them, what would you do? Um, well, I mean, I think, uh, the, the, um, obviously like, I don't think, I think puzzle rush is a lot of fun, but I think it's not, um, I don't think that's how you become a much better tactician. Um, I think it's just more of a, it's a, I view it as more of a recreational activity. 
I think if I really wanted to improve my tactics, there are there are plenty of you know uh, very very difficult you know tactics um, that are available. You know these ones that take take people like forty five minutes to solve, but those ones are very um, you know if I wanted to to challenge myself in that way, I would probably go for those. Gotcha. Um... Okay, Nico. Let's go like a little rapid fire on a few questions. Do you have a Do you have a favorite game of yours? Favorite game of mine? Um, I I like to think that my fa- my favorite game was going to come in the future. I think if I had to pick, like a, I'm I'm really that's a hard question to ask. I think I've had, I think I have my most like memorable game would probably be. I'd say I beat Ilya Smirin in um, the Washington International a few years ago, which was very satisfying because I, I was a nice kind of sacrificial attack at the end. But the, the quality of that game was not um, that high in terms of some mistakes that were made earlier. So I, I'd say it's hard to label it my best game. So was that game, was it the sort of thing when you were when it was over, did you think it was high quality and only later find the mistakes? Or did you know right away, well, that was, that was hairy, but I, but I pulled it out? I played pretty well throughout. It's just that the, uh, I, it was almost uh, his, he kind of, I think he just missed one idea. So it, what, it didn't feel like a real, it felt more of like a, like he as if he made just one small mistake rather than I kind of comprehensively defeated him, if that makes sense. Okay. And what about um? Do you have a favorite game of all time, like uh, from anyone? Um, well, when I was, I'd probably have to say the 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 Fisher Burn. Uh, I'm sorry, Burn Fisher game, which is uh, you know pretty legendary game with the the Queen sacrifice and everything. I remember when I was when I was very young, I memorized that game. I, I don't know if I can still remember it now, but that game had a big impact on me. Okay, yeah, that is quite a game played not not too far from you, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think so. I think it was Manhattan Chess Club. Yeah. Um, cool. And um, do you have a favorite chess player? Favorite chess player? I think, um, you know, almost every every one of my generation definitely admires uh, Carlson to a, to a pretty significant extent because he's been so dominant for most of my life. I think when I was really trying to getting into the chess scene, which is probably, you know, about 10 years ago or so, um, maybe maybe a little longer, uh, he was he was kind of just emerging on the scene as an elite player too. He was starting to play in Vikanze and and um, starting to qualify for the candidates and everything. So for pretty much as long as I've been involved in chess, he's been a real figure. And then obviously recently he he or not recently, but um, he became world champion and has since defended his title several times. So I think he's definitely a big figure in, in chess during my lifetime. So I think he's up there um and then obviously there's there's the kind of classical greats uh kasparov and and uh you know Pavinik on all those guys but uh, in terms of modern players i think carlson's definitely you know he's the guy to look at yeah and with him he's kind of uh i mean he's kind of turned it up a notch since the world championship do do you get a chance to follow the elite tournaments as they're happening or um is there or is that not a big uh priority I, I I sometimes follow the results. I, I sometimes skim through the games, but I don't I don't follow them seriously. Yeah, there's only so many hours in a day. Um, 
And uh, Greg, uh, Greg Shahadi, again, he, I, I think I had seen this, but I forgot, but you, you, you beat Fabiano in the pro chess league. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That was a, I got a little lucky against him, but you know, it was still fun to, it was fun to just play him, let alone beat him. So that was pretty exciting for me. Although unfortunately he, uh, I think maybe two or three weeks later we played the St. Louis team again and, and he, he made sure he was ready. So yeah. right, yeah, He's, you get to see how competitive these guys are. Yeah, of course. I mean, beating someone like that once is uh, is plenty, as far as I'm concerned. So it seems like you do well in the fast games. Do you are you do you consider yourself to be a blitz specialist, or is it just another part of your game? I think that um, in, in in kind of rapid and, and blitz and all that, it allows you to rely on your intuition much more. And I think that. Um, Kind of if you carry that same approach into a classical game, your intuition is going to be just dead wrong um, on a you know let's say ten percent of the time. So um, in in blitz, that your opponent a lot of time doesn't really have the the time to capitalize or identify that that percentage of the time. But in in um, in classical, you can't carry that same approach. So it's a different way of thinking about the game. Okay, and do you? Do you enjoy them both equally? Um, if I'm being 100% honest, I think that sometimes um, I, I enjoy Blitz more, but I think in terms of the, I hate to say integrity, but the, the quality of the games, the the level of kind of engagement, I think classical is obviously more strenuous, which is both a good and bad thing. It It's more thought-provoking. It's, it's more... Um, it's more engaging. Um, whereas blitz is more just quick fun. Um, but not as stimulating. Yeah. And with everyone sort of debating chess formats, I mean, I guess this has kind of always been the case, but it certainly hasn't slowed down where people talk about chess 960 and they argue about how prominent a role classical chess should take in the world championship in particular, but in other events, generally do do you have a sense i mean obviously you can't speak for like your whole generation or anything but between your own opinions and like your cohorts the other strong young players like uh you know grandmasters and future grandmasters do you have a sense for how they feel about uh these five-hour games as compared to the sort of more um fast time controls i think it's it's um i think the 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 problem in analyzing this is that everyone has been kind of brought up under the kind of structure in which five-hour games are considered serious and everything else is considered just casual. So um, people are just almost automatically inclined to think, you know, of course I'm interested in serious chess. I'm not interested in this this joke or this just fun, casual stuff. I think, you know, I know Greg is obviously a major proponent of cutting down time controls. I think there, there's definitely value in keeping time controls but i can understand as both a player and a spectator the value of um cutting them down but i think that there's definitely still a place for classical chess in in the modern you know world so you don't feel like for someone of a younger generation used to sort of uh, more instant gratification it's it's not like torture for you to sit there and play five hours yeah I, i'd be lying if i said that it, it can't be boring and sometimes just you know the the length of the games and everything, but um, I, I don't. I think it's it's um, the quality of the chess is is much higher. Okay, 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's glad I'm glad to hear that you have sort of an open-minded approach. I mean, I think uh, the chess world is just going to have to fumble around for a little bit until uh, uh, more of a consensus emerges. Um, people get pretty heated about it right now. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've read some of Greg's blogs. You know, I, I've, uh, I know how he's um, pretty passionate about it from what I gather. Yeah, and then there's people on the other side that that basically hate him just because he's kind of the most out, one of the most outspoken proponents of uh, faster chess. Yeah, well, I, I think one of his kind of proposals was basically to not not denigrate um, classical chess in any way, but just more or less. Uh, elevate rapid and blitz to that same level in the sense that it's three separate kind of disciplines, which I think if you look at other sports, like for example, swimming that no one decreased the value of the, the butterfly by including, by including the backstroke in the Olympics. So I think um, it wouldn't really harm anyone to just have three different disciplines that players could just choose which one they wanted to compete in. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Uh, I, that's a good point. I mean, I, I had heard Greg make that point, but not that comparison. Um, and speaking of swimming, I know you at least used to play soccer. Do you still play? Not, not too much anymore. I, I played a lot when I was younger, but um, in recent years, I've, I've really cut down a lot on that. So, do you have any? Do you have time for any other activities, or have you kind of narrowed your focus to, to chess outside of schoolwork? I mean, I'm, I'm involved in, in some things around my school and stuff, but um, but chess is definitely my main my main thing these days. It's what I, it's my main. I mean, uh, extracurricular, I guess you could say. Okay. And, um, and what else do you have any, any, like, um, uh, like, are you a sports fan? Do you follow the news? Do you have any other subject that, that particularly, uh, interests you? Do you have a sense of what you would study in college, stuff like that? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, like news and government and politics is something that I'm very interested in. Last summer, I actually had the the chance to who work as a Senate page in the Senate, which was a oh wow cool to basically just be there on the Senate floor, kind of witnessing history as it happened. So that was an, that was actually why I couldn't play the the U.S. Junior last year because the the dates were conflicting. So were that, you in D.C. for that? Yeah, so we I lived in D.C. for about a month for that. Um, so the the Senate page program is what it's called, and I guess me and about thirty other kids from across the country. Um, were, were there working as pages and they have a basically government building it's called webster hall in which um all the the pages live and get to live together and work together and just experience dc and the senate and government like that it was an amazing experience yeah that must have been a lot of fun it's almost uh it's on a par with uh the world youths only for politics yeah it, w- it was just just uh just great to to just be there on you know i was the, the, the day after I got there, actually, um, the president announced a nomination to the Supreme Court. So the next day, like the opening remarks was the, the majority and minority leader were um, kind of addressing the, uh, the, I guess, pros and cons of the, the nominee. And then, you know, there was, you know, it was during the summer. So there weren't, um, there was no kind of landmark legislation, but there was, you get to see, you know, just the, the kind of the way that the system works and, just kind of everyday bills that you know you don't hear about in the news, but definitely have an impact on on people around the country. And after seeing politics so up close, are are you still interested, or did it did it push you away? It was, um, you know, it, I think I was able to take a good view in the sense that it was a 
almost a month there. So I, I, there were some days in which, you know, I saw some things I didn't like. And there were some days in which I thought, you know, this is just such an amazing kind of opportunity to, to um, you know, change the country, help people do all that. So, you know, I think I was able to take a contextualized view that kind of took into account everything that I experienced. Okay, well, I'm glad it didn't just uh, tune you out. We, we we need the younger generation to to shake things up for sure. So, so um, that's good news. Um, cool. Well, Nico, I am. I'm thinking I've got everything on my outline covered. So you've got the you finish up school in the next month, and then you've got the U.S. Junior Championship, followed by the camp with uh, guard. Throw the Philadelphia International in before if you can. Yeah, that's um, right. Do you? Uh, so you mentioned this page program last last year. Have you uh, have you had to to get a job at some point, or do you do any chess coaching? Um, what's your approach for like? Have you had to think about money yet? Uh, I've never never coached um before seriously i think um as i as i get older and as my kind of emphasis on my own playing decreases i might begin to kind of try to pass along the knowledge to the next generation and begin to coach because i think it, it's it's very re- I, i've never done it but from what i gather it seems pretty rewarding in the sense that you get to see your your student really grow as a player and become stronger but i have not coached as of yet Okay. Yeah. I mean, it seems like uh, you'd be a natural at it. You're very, very articulate, especially for 17 year old. So, I mean, you're articulate for any age. So, um, yeah, that, that would be interesting to see. Do you have, do you have any major chess goals on your horizon right now? Um, right now I, I don't have a specific goal. I think, you know, I think at this point to set a goal of maybe, you know, 25, 50 feet a or something like that. I think that that's the sort of thing that I think if you if you if you try to just focus exclusively on the rating, then you, you fall into the same problem that I had when I was focusing exclusively on the norm. So right now, um, I think the the best approach to it would just be to play, enjoy myself, and hopefully improve. But uh, I don't think it makes sense to set an arbitrary rating threshold that I'm trying to accomplish in any specific interval of time. I don't think that would that would help me at all. Cool. Yeah. Again, a, a sort of a mature approach and and. One one thing I should ask you before I let you go, um, when you when you were studying, like how many hours were you able to put in, um, uh, sort of at the you know during the your big push that you've made? I mean, basically over your, you know, I mean, high school, even junior high career. Like how many hours a week were you spending on chess? Do you think? Well, I think my my kind of approach to chess, it was uh, I was definitely always always um, very committed to chess, and I was always doing a lot of studying, but I had a very um, non-uniform study schedule in the sense that it would vary tremendously. It wasn't the sort of thing where I would do, you know, an hour a day. It could go three or four days without doing anything and then, you know, do six hours on a weekend or the other way around and just do a little bit every day. I had no kind of official structure to it. So I just, whenever I wanted to, I would do as much as I wanted and then I wouldn't. It was not at all structured. It was structured in the sense that I had a system to what I was doing, but the scheduling was not structured in the sense that there wasn't like a specific amount of time I did per day. So it's difficult to determine how many hours I did per week. I'd say, um, you know, probably between five and ten per week while I was in high school, maybe okay. maybe a little more. Um, and then um, when I was younger, it was more than that. But uh, it, it has gradually decreased over over the years. 
just as school and other things have become bigger um, distractions or priorities. Yeah, that um, that makes sense. I mean, again, I do think it's good that that you maintain a sort of balanced approach. When you hear of someone like uh, Parham Magsudlu, the top young, top Iranian player, I think he's uh, like eighteen, and you know, I mean, I don't even know what his rating is, but it's uh, let's see, twenty six sixty fide. I don't know if you heard, but he said he spends twenty hours a day on chess. I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't believe him. Um, I just don't think that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're probably right. But okay, let's say it's 16 hours a day. Like, what do you think of a, a lifestyle like that? Do you think you could be happy doing that? I personally, no. But I think that if if he's happy doing that, he's obviously doing very well in the tournaments he's playing in. He's experiencing tremendous progress, and you know, I think I I might have I don't think I've ever played him, but I've I've met him because he's a, he's a year older than me, so. He would always play in the same section as me at World Youth, and he seems like a nice guy. So you know, I, I wish him the best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, some it's a it's a different approach for sure. I mean, as you say, there might be a bit of poetic license. Like you, I kind of I hope there is. I mean, you need to sleep for one thing. Um, l- let alone, uh, you know, maintain a bit of perspective with other things. But but in any event, it sounds like he's um he's pretty driven. And- Judged by his um his progression recently, I. I wouldn't be surprised if he's really making a big push because he's, I think his, his play is, is really in the way he, he beats, you know, 2600s is just dominant. It's, um, it's very impressive in my opinion. Yeah. And do you, so do you, I mean, obviously, I mean, to me and to, to almost everyone listening, you've accomplished an, an incredible amount, but do you, do you think, do you ever think like, what if I had dropped out of school or what if I didn't play soccer? Like, do you, do you, uh, wish that they like is there a part of you that would would have wanted to push even harder or are you happy with the sort of balanced practical approach you've taken and still achieved in, incredible things I'm very happy with my kind of balance in life as the way it is obviously I've thought about you know what level I would be if I had different things that had gone differently but um, I, I don't know if an extra 100 points would have been worth missing out on all the other stuff that I've been able to enjoy throughout my life. So I think I'm happy with the way things worked out. Yeah. I, I think it's um commendable. I, th- I think. Um, thank, you. thank you so much. And, and, and thank you for coming on the show, Nico. It's been, been great to hear from the younger generation, get your perspective, hear how you've, uh, how you've gotten so strong and um, yeah, hopefully you'll have some new fans uh, tracking you. Um, so I, I don't know if, if there's a way for people to keep up with you or, um, they can just, uh, watch from afar. Do you, is there any way for people to reach you or, um, they can definitely reach out to me on chess.com, I guess. Um, my, yes, sorry, go ahead. My handle on chess.com is, is speed skater, I believe. So yeah, that's, yeah, I saw that. I was going to ask you that, that was, uh, that was, um, are you a speed skater or just, no, a- I made my first icc account when i was very young i think maybe seven years old or something and i can't honestly remember why i chose that but um at that point you know i just wanted some sort of congruency between all my different um online accounts so several different chess websites have the same username it's i it's just a legacy thing from when i was very young to be honest well again you showed wisdom beyond your years uh in in wanting a, a unified online persona even at the age of seven and it's kind of a, a fitting nickname since you're since you're strong at blitz. I mean, you know, 
people, a lot of people have asked me about that before, and it's always, you know, I really don't have a good answer to why it is. That's just the way it was when I was very young. Um, but especially people on, in my experience, people on ICC were typically more curious about it. But uh, I've gotten, you know, messages from both uh, Chess.com and ICC saying, you know, why is your name Speed Skater? But I think it's a fun, fun uh, online pseudonym. Yeah, it's 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 good. I like it. Um, cool. So yeah, I'll link to the, your speed skater account, uh, in, in the notes and yeah, we'll be, we'll be watching and rooting for you. Enjoy all these experiences. Um, I mean, they're things that a lot of people, even adults like me could, could only dream of playing in us, um, junior championships and working with, uh, GM Agard and stuff like that, let alone all the stuff away from the board that, that, you know, opportunities that will present themselves over the years. So We'll be rooting for you, Nico, and uh, keep up the, uh, the great work. Thank you so much, Ben. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. That includes my producer, Matthew Passy, Geert Vandervelt for supplying the theme music, my wonderful guests, of course. And I also want to thank everyone who helps spread the word about the show, whether it's on Facebook, on Twitter, or on Instagram, telling an actual friend, an actual person about it. Every little bit helps grow the show. But most of all, I want to thank people who support the show financially. Without your financial support, this show would not be possible. I love doing it, but it is a lot of work. So I most of all want to thank Chessable for their support. And I also would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities. Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, Andrew Bach, Austin Clough. Benjamin Handelman, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, Dan O'Hanlon, I am Dimitri Schneider, Greg Shahadi, Guven Manet, Jens Green, John Jernigan, Kelly Palmer, Lone Pine Chess, the Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Sidney Andrews, Thomas Tachenko, and Todd Bryant. And I'd also like to thank the following Patreon partners. You guys are Aaron Wafflart, Ace Vallega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com. Adam Vrancouge, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, BetterChessTraining.com, Bill Moran, Brett Howard Lynn, Brett Zeldo, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Bumgardner, Christopher Chabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalicki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas of the U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Dave Saylor, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am elect Donnie Ariel, the Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Frank Tortoris, MD, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt of Chessable.com, Gerard Barda, Giovanni Russo, Greg Natal, Harish Srinivasan, GM Jakob Ogard of Quality Chess Publishing, James Bonastia, Jason Woolham, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, Jen Shahadi, Jerry Wells, JJ Strand, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovyutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Laura Bojavsky, Lucio Casada Silva, Martin Knudsen, Matthew Passi, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, The Mysterious Moon Master 9000, The Legend Grows, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Nate Salon, Neil Bruce, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paolo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Robert Steiner, Ryan Berg, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Steiner Lima, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, 
Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrancouge, William Peterson, Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, everyone. Catch you guys next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.